Good morning. This is time for Doc Scott's Revival Talk, day 49. Um, wow, almost on day 50 of this, I have to decide whether we're going to change the topic in the next series or not. Um, fortunately, I've had um, a friend of a friend, of like a friend of my son's in um, Atlanta, Georgia, was able to put every one of my, um, the first series on No More Cycles, Coming Out of Shame and Breaking Destructive Patterns, all on podcast. And I think this series on podcast just has to be updated. So it's kind of cool. Um, so some of those things we can go back and listen to. Of course, that's just if you want to hear me all over again. But you might be able to do it without seeing the face. So that could be some benefit to that. Um, but anyway, um, I want to talk a little bit about our story. Um, it's like a good juncture, you know, like my walls, are, you know, speak of transition. You see them? Yes, yes. Oh, and if I'm, I'm for hire if you want to hire me to do online university full-time teaching. You just, I'll jot my number down. You give me a little ring ring after this, uh, this little Facebook live session. But essentially, you know, when we're in these places of transition, I think it's a good place to kind of recount part of the story because it's interesting, you know, how... You know, we've talked a lot about how in places of transition that there is a holy convergence that's going on and the convergence in our personal life is kind of lining up with some of the convergence that God is doing in the church. You know, and I'm, I'm going to repeat this one part real quick and go into the part I want to tell. But, you know, essentially this recapping, you know, we're seeing the convergence of all the ages of the church coming together right now, which means that everything that's been available in every era is now all available now in a way that's cataclysmic, you know, kind of setting us up for this tsunami wave revival that's going to go over this whole planet that's already started. And so also for many of us, you know, we're seeing convergence in places in our own lives. And some of the things that we've done in our past are starting to make a little more sense. You know, for many of us, I know like for me, I did a lot of things a lot, you know, along the years that were kind of like bits and pieces of who I was, you know, whether it was pastoral ministry, uh, parachurch ministry, obviously education, principal, sister principal, teacher. You know, I've, I've done pieces of what I do and how I function, you know, in terms of, you know, just like what we're really about in terms of our gift, our assignments, etc. So I've done pieces of that all through my life, but, you know, come to this place and juncture in my life where, you know, where I was still looking and am still looking to do some of the things that I think I was really created for. And I think a lot of people are in that place because part of what transition and convergence does is it does highlight this whole thing of what was I made for and all of the longings and all of the things that we've kind of had along the years. Some things got burned and disappointment. Some of us have dreams that crashed and burned in many places. Um, some of us had our expectations that we thought God was doing like wildly dashed and you know, whatnot. And I do think in this tapestry that God's weaving, there is a thread in convergence that I think begins to tie some of those pieces together. And we begin to see what it is that he's been doing, like in essentially that, you know, nothing has really been wasted in our lives. 
that God has used everything, even the darkest seasons, and even our darkest hour, that even in those things, he's always been working. And just, you know, how good he is in the entire landscape of the picture. And so, you know, we've been trained. We talked a lot about how a lot of us on our way to kind of getting seated, which is the word, we, the frame, uh, the term we use about kind of being seated in the place of our authority, the thing that we were created for, um, where heaven kind of backs us up in that place of convergence and seating is kind of, that's what happens in that. And how at different seasons of our life, we have different assignments and different seats. And how in every season, God brings all of the stuff that we need in that particular season you know, um, and pulls that together and we have things available to us as far as gifting. You know, sometimes I think, well, I'm not doing this or I'm not doing that, but there's a context for everything and there's a demand on heaven for the things that we do. And so if you're not experiencing like radical healing when you go out and pray for people, well, maybe the context has got to change or maybe the context for it hasn't come up yet. You know, or in other words, You've got this passion for something, but you've never been in it yet. You've got a passion to do something. You know, in a context, there are a lot of things that God does because there's a demand for it. Like when I'm in this position, there's a demand for certain things that I've seen throughout the years, even in the classroom, which I would say my primary role in the last 12 years here has been to call students into their destiny to see them launched into their prom a promised future, to call forth that which is really gold in them, and for a lot of them to give them a picture of who they are that they've never really connected to because of where they come from, their background, much like us, the things that happened to them and the things that they've engaged in and the dysfunction in their family, etc. They haven't really gathered a good sense of who they are, and a lot of them feel like they're failures, and so, my job has been to be a dispenser of hope and to teach. You know, we do both of those. But I think when you really think about what our function is, and so my job has been to release heaven in this place. And so I've seen a lot of things happen in 12 years. If these blank walls could talk, they would have a big, big story to tell. But the whole thing with revival was something that came about as a product of, of really bad events. You know, um, um, to retract the story a little bit, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. I'll get the month wrong. I want to say like October. She'll correct me in a minute on the little thing here. <laughs> but she got a diagnosis of cancer. She had, it was a big fear because her mom died of cancer when she was like five years old. And so this cloud of cancer has always hung over her head. And so um, if you've ever had that diagnosis, I haven't had it personally, but if you've ever had it, you you know how quickly it just changes everything in your life. Like life is going on one track and, can, and then suddenly it's all upside down. And the thing that dominates your picture is what's going on in your body because it's obviously something that you have to tend to and that God has to do something with. And so out of that diagnosis of cancer, I think part of the thing I want to say is, is that sometimes in the places of our greatest devastation or the greatest place of challenge, they become some of the places that are so linked to the things that God has in blessing. We, don't, we know that God doesn't distribute disease, and he's not the one, the author of sickness. 
But because he's so powerfully all redeeming and, and his arm is very long when it comes to redemption, he uses the worst possible circumstance to bring life and to bring things into our life that really, really bless us and like that change us forever. So he's never, he's never not. I mean, you really get the full picture of Romans 8, 28 when you're looking at things like convergence in your life and you're also looking at how God takes something that the enemy wanted to use for evil and literally makes it something that's a place of strength and a place of um, connecting to God's goodness in ways that we've never experienced before. So in her diagnosis, I remember we were sitting um, up in um, Noonan. I call it the cancer center. I call it the Disneyland for cancer. You know, because it's like the hugest cancer you know, center in the world over there. It's like a multi-million, billion dollar industry. And, you know, you go down these nice long mall halls and they have different rooms. And I would say to my wife, because it's just part of my sense of humor, so baby, do you want to go on nuclear medicine today? Or do you want to go on get a port? Like what thing do you want to do? Because it's such a money making industry. There's a lot of investment in the industry to making sure that from the time we get diagnosed to the time that we're in treatment and on chemo and everything else, it's like a millisecond in between those things. And um, we had some really good friends that told us um, in the middle of that, you know what, you can hit the pause button on that and actually find out what God's doing and you don't have to listen to every voice. So one of the main things I think God was really kind of tuning us into was hearing his voice because we do live in an era of holy chaos, which is awesome, right? That's called revival. Um, you know, this unmeasured grace that kind of makes things move and shift and moves players on the board and kind of moves things around. You know, my friend Jamie says that revival um, basically um, impacts everything all at the same time. And it does. So we're in the middle of all of this and we're sitting in, and we're sitting in the cancer center. You know, how ironic is this? And we get, uh, we now know who, who, we now put all the dots together, but we get a copy of Lorraine woman in our church, we get a copy of her scans where she had breast cancer and on one scan, um, she's got like 50 bone lesions in her body and on the other one, there are zero. And I'll probably put that scan up later today so you guys can see it. And we're like waiting to see the doctor. We're waiting to see Mr. Renowned World Famous Breast Cancer Doctor, you know? And here we are looking at a scan of somebody who got completely healed. Well, we, you know, we kind of put together those dots, realized that um, Lorraine was actually in Remnant Church here in Brunswick. So we met her after that, etc. But it was interesting, the scan came from California, and the scan that she didn't even know people had seen yet had already gone all over, all over the place. And so, like, you know, we're healed by the blood of the land and the word of our testimony. So here we are looking at a clean body. So... Um, in that next round, and if I miss any details, my wife will correct me because she's really good at, at details. But I like to blend the stories because I kind of figure, you know, when you're telling it, if God's on it, it still works. You know what I mean? Even if you blend two or three together, it's still working, right? So, um, <laughs> so anyway, um, on our next trip, you know, we had heard a lot about what was going on in Dawsonville, Georgia. We had heard about the North Georgia Revival. 
you know, it's kind of like a back in the mind plan. You know, we'll get there when we have some time, you know, whatever. But we do want to go up there and check it out. And we had some friends up there. So in our next visit, my wife did the math and she realized that we're only about an hour away from the cancer center in Dawsonville, North Georgia, Christ Fellowship. And so we decided that we would do Sunday night there and we would do our next two appointments, of course, with the cancer center. So essentially, and I'm retelling the story because I feel like it's gonna draw some connection to how revival, really our connection to revival and how it, you know, God used something horrific in our life to kind of help uh, bring us into this place with arrival. It's kind of cool. And plus Todd's coming back June 13th and 14th. So, you know, tying all this together. But anyway, so we went to Dawsonville and somehow we were really surprised that, that um, Todd actually knew who we were. I don't know how he knew we were coming, that he came up and introduced himself to us while we were in the line getting ready to go in the water. And so it's amazing how, it's just amazing how a lot of dots get connected behind the scenes that we never see. So anyway, we're getting ready to get into the water. And, you know, and the way it's set up in Dawsonville is there's stairs that lead to the water and your feet are in the water before you actually are out in front where people can see you and before you get asked the question, why are you in the water? And minute our foot got in the water, I looked at my wife and I said, um, we're toast. I had never encountered what Holy Spirit felt like with fire and water before in my life. I just knew, and I likened it, and we've likened it to the man at the pool of Bethesda. This must be something of what it felt like when the angel would come and stir that water because the water was infused with Holy Spirit. I, there's no other way to explain that. And so when we got up there to be baptized, um, you know, one of the things that happens, you're like, why are you here? And then we felt the fire immediately hit us. And when my wife, you know, my wife was first and then I was second. And <laughs> this is like one of the things I do. I don't do it very often, but when I got hit with the fire and I got, after I went down into the water, I came up and I, this roar came out of me, this roar. It was really loud. Like my wife says, anything that happens to me like that, that has to do anything with intercession is always very loud and you always know what's happening. And I'm sure some of the people out there thought, oh my gosh, he's manifesting a demon. Hurry quick, get that out of him. But it wasn't because the thing that I said after it was they were holding me on the stairs because I was so drunk, I couldn't stand up was Jesus wins. Jesus wins. And I think what happened to me in that moment, it happens different ways. But in that particular moment, it was this knowing, it's like this deep, deep, deep knowing that the goodness of Jesus was going to triumph over evil and that Jesus wins. And that no matter how dark, how very dark darkness is, that Jesus is still winning and he's still in the business of winning and that he had won this battle. And so in many ways, I feel like it was sort of a declaration of what was, what was actually happening in the water, that Jesus wins, that the enemy came and brought something that he was designed to bring terror and to fear and to take us out and or take my wife out. And it wasn't gonna happen. And so we left there 
And we went to our doctor appointment the next day. Um, they messed up, they were scrambling because they were supposed to give us the results of this genomic test, this one test that would tell you what, you know, what your uh, propensity to be, to continue to have cancer, I don't know exactly what it was supposed to tell you, but they messed up and it wasn't there. So the short version is, is my wife ends up getting, they order an ultrasound because my wife prayed, look, Lord, I need to know what happened in my body. Can you give, can we get a scan out of this? Can we get something? And so she did. And they did like an hour long ultrasound that was like forever. And the lady that was doing it, the tech would run back and forth to the doctor. She, you know, sometimes she looked like she was smiling. And he kept wanting to see picture after picture after picture. Like how many pictures of lymph nodes do you have to take at an hour to actually, I don't know, a lot, I guess. And so we didn't know, but we kind of knew that something happened in the water. We knew that when we went into that water, something had happened. And I think it was Wednesday night, my wife looks into the portal and she sees the result that she says, you want to know what it is? And I said, no, I already know. Because I knew it was like that. It was like one of those things when you're in it, it's like that, almost like the gift of faith. Like, you know, that something really big just happened. And she said, there says no suspicious lymph nodes. And after that, we got shortly down the road, we got the letter from the Cancer Center of America in Atlanta that said, um, no suspicious lymph nodes. And even then we had people trying to say, well, aren't you going to go through chemo? Aren't you going to go through this? Aren't you going to do that? And we're like, well, I was like, why would I do that if I don't have cancer? I don't, you know what I mean? I, it doesn't make sense. So we ended up going back up there and um, we, we basically, my wife shared her testimony and we talked about, she talked about, told the whole, pretty much a, a bulk of the story. It was very powerful because here's what God had told Todd. When he had the vision of the fire on the water in Dawsonville, the Lord told him that there would be three significant miracles within a certain amount of time. Lorraine was the first one, stage four cancer with all the bone lesions in her body. My wife was the second. And so, and both these women, my wife and Lorraine are from Brunswick, Georgia, which we've always known. My wife will say she's known it better and more than me, but, um, because I tried to run a little bit, but um, that, you know, that Brunswick would really become an epicenter for revival. It was a target, like a heavenly target for revival. And that God was going to have many of these epicenters all over the place that were like basically uh, fire launch pads. You know, people would come from around the world and that this would be a cancer-free zone. And I think it will be. I think um, we will have a cancer-free zone here in Brunswick where cancer, um, when people come into this water, they're gonna get healed. Um, but at any rate, so we did that, and we knew that um, God had done something pretty pretty terrific. And so we, after the healing, we kind of connected. She shared our testimony, her testimony, not, well, it's ours too, but um, Sid Roth was at church that morning. And so it just so happened, so happened. This is where you see the divine orchestration of things. Jesus is always orchestrating things behind the scenes. I think that's one of the biggest lessons I've brought out of this is that he's doing so much more that we can't see. And the enemy is working overtime on our being discouraged, you know, and thinking that God's not doing anything. It's not like when we go to bed, he goes to bed. 
he's still working. He's, when, when you begin to look at the tapestry as it unfolds, you see the threads that weave the story together. But that's always in retrospect. As we look back, right, we see, oh, wow, you were really orchestrating this. And so, um, where was that? Um, oh, yeah, Sid Roth was in the meeting. as that church that morning. And anyway, it kind of prompted Sid to want to connect with Todd. And so my wife did some things. We were communicating back with Sid and with Todd. And, and those two got connected. And Sid actually went up to Dawsonville and got um, baptized. And so in the process of this, too, we were getting to talk to our pastor here about, you know, what about bringing um, Todd down here, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And the short version of that is, is that, um, Todd came down. It's, he's coming down for his third time in June, 13th and 14th. So it got this whole thing rolling, and the catalyst was cancer. The catalyst was something bad. The thing that had come into our life that turned it upside down was something bad, like cancer was the thing that basically initiated a string of events in our lives and the lives of others here that really pulled this thing together where now we're really, we're in the middle of um, looking at what revival looks like here in Brunswick, Georgia. And, you know, obviously what's going on with Todd Smith and Christ Fellowship is like off the chain, right? But there's other things that come out of that. Like, I do believe, here's one of the things that happens in the water. I think that because Jesus is always doing more than what we think he's doing, that there are things that happen. Todd says, you know, basically that when people walk in the building up there, there's an impartation. And I believe that. I believe there's an impartation in the water for revivalists because God is putting stuff in. He's not just giving us. He doesn't just give us what we ask for. We ask for something very simple, but he gives us a whole lot more. And sometimes we don't realize what we've been given until we walk away and we're like, whoa, we start praying for people and we start seeing crazy results. After Dawsonville, I would pray for students and they would feel fire all through the night in their stomach and their heart. I started seeing this phenomenon of you pray for people and they feel fire and there's things that go on in them that are all night long. You know, when you have a student who never says a word most of the whole school year, who doesn't really um, know Jesus, but they experience the fire of God and all of a sudden it's like everything they ever heard about who Jesus was from that praying grandma or from whomever, all of a sudden, all of that knowing in their head converges in this experience of fire of heaven on them. And it's like, whoa, God sees me. God is here with me. And I, we started seeing that phenomenon a lot more. And where we pray for people, they would, they would experience fire, they would experience something of heaven. So I know that things get imparted. And then we saw things, I mean, we've seen crazy stuff happen at Remnant. Bone cancer healed. We've seen people who went in and they couldn't move their limbs and they came out and they were moving their limbs. I mean, it's just kind of crazy. So the miraculous stuff is just going to increase. I know in Dawsonville, they're seeing it all the time. And so the miracles have increased. It really is the mark of revival. You know, um, you got people waiting in line now at one in the afternoon on Sunday to get into 
um, Dawsonville for the five o'clock prayer meeting that comes before the six o'clock meeting. And it's not going to be very long before people are going to be coming from all over the world, coming to Remnant and coming to churches here to find healing in the water. It's just a matter of time because when God takes a location and he births this fire in that location, people come out of the woodwork because we're hungry. I mean, think about it. Some of us have been around for Toronto, for Brownsville. How many of us put down everything? We would leave. We would make it our vacation. We would spend money. We didn't care what it cost us. We would get our behinds up there and we would soak in that. And people would go to Toronto hating each other, wanting to kill each other in their marriage, and they get up and they were in love. They wanted to try again. They wanted something restored. Because God does in this unmeasured grace and revival, he does something that saturates us again. And sometimes we have to get saturated to realize how dry we are. And he does something in us in the context of engaging us that way that changes us forever and things begin to move and things get lit that weren't lit. So it's very, it's powerful. And when people are hungry, they'll do anything. If you're hungry for God, it's like people in Dawsonville will wait eight to 10 hours to go into the water. Why? Because they know that when I get in that water, I'm going to have an encounter with Jesus. I'm going to encounter God in that water and they're desperate for it. So even after we came back, we had one lady that came through, was coming through town on her way up somewhere north. And a friend, friends of ours said, she just wants to see if we get together and pray for us. So we met here at the school, came in this room, and essentially prayed for a woman who was scheduled to get a mastectomy. And we didn't hear from her right away, our friends. And so one day we called and we were like, okay, whatever happened with those guys? And oh, she said, oh yeah, by the way, the cancer was completely healed and she never had to have the mastectomy, it's gone. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. Impartation for healing is in the water. Jesus is giving you more than what you come for. He's putting stuff in you because he always does exceedingly beyond what we're thinking or even asking for. And so since then, we've seen things like that. Um, there's a lady that's been in our school who's had cancer forever. Um, she got rid of it at one point. It came back with a vengeance. And basically, they just gave her a death certificate and said, basically, uh, it's all in your body. And um, essentially, you need to prepare to die. And that's what they kind of told her. And I've been meaning to talk to this woman. I mean, ever since we were going through this thing and my wife got healed and we saw this stuff, I've been meaning to get to this person and say, you've got to come out. You've got to let us pray for you. You've got to come because Jesus is doing something. And then one day, um, coincidentally, not, she's in my building. And I look and I walk over to her and I'm like, you, you, um, I just want to tell you about something. I said, you know, my wife got healed in those waters in Dawsonville. She goes, I know I heard all about it. And I was like, wow. And then we offered to pray, so Lorraine and my wife actually prayed for her. She was so lit, she had so much hope, because when I saw her in the hallway, she said, yeah, they told me I'm gonna die. And it kind of sucks, because I'm not ready to go yet. And it was all in her body, and they said the chemo was just basically 
being given to her to slow down the inevitable death that she was facing. And so when she left that day, she was totally full of hope, hadn't had hope in the journey along the way. And to this day, I'm gonna go over and talk to her this morning, to this day, the, the, uh, all of the tumors are shrinking in her body right now. So tell me, Jesus is it doing something with that. Um, yesterday, I had an opportunity to pray for an administrator friend of mine who five years ago, six years ago, we were about this close to revival breaking out on our school campus. I mean, the kid, I mean, stuff was happening. Kids were getting healed. Like it was, we were going nuts. And my joke was close the door because we don't pray at school. And, um, and people, kids were getting healed, experiencing the fire of God. I mean, like all kind of stuff was happening. And I was starting to get in a little trouble. And this particular administrator, like she kind of read me the riot act and was like a staunch, you know, come against me at, you know, like you can't do this in school. And my principal at that time had said something very key. He said, you know what, fly a little lower under the radar, but the kids can do whatever they want. And it's true. Kids could do anything in Georgia in school if they want. I have a pastor friend who talked about a girl that started an entire revival in her school. One girl, lit for Jesus, created a revival on campus. And that's what we've been going for ever since. So many things have happened. So anyway, um, that particular administrator was here yesterday. Um, and I got a chance yesterday. I went in because I was doing training to test a student for an AP exam. And she had been in this leg brace for forever, had surgery, plates, whatever, was in a ton of pain. And the first thing I said was, before I leave the room, we're going to pray for you. She says, good, I was really hoping that you would. And we did. And when we left and when we texted last night, there was no pain in her leg. She got up and started walking around and testing it. She's like, it doesn't hurt. She's got tears in her eyes because I'm telling her about my wife's healing. I'm telling her about Lorraine's healing. I'm talking about what's already happened here, etc. And today she wants us to pray again because of her ankle. But I guarantee you that she's going to get healed because that's what God does. This is what Jesus does. This is what he's into. It's like we receive it to give it away. You know, if you're not seeing people getting healed around you, my question would be, who are we praying for? Because there's a context for everything. And so, you know, my encouragement is go after it because God is really doing something phenomenal in all of this. If you haven't been in the water at Bruns uh, in Remnant Church or in Dawsonville, you need to get in that water. There is an impartation. And this is really, when we talked about revival histories, we talked about this. And I'll end with this. The first part of the revival is the part where you have these epicenters that get really lit. Like we saw in Toronto. We saw in Brownsville. You see places that are on fire. There is a continual habitation there. And people come from all over the world. And they flock to those places because they want something from God. They're desperate, okay? The real transformation and revival that takes place on a planet, in a region, in a country, it happens after that, where the, it's called the scattering. 
You know, people come and they receive and then they go wherever they go and they start seeing things happen. That's the transferability of revival. That's one of the ways God does that is it gets transferred. People go to other places where they go back home and crazy stuff starts happening where they are. That's when you see a, a national transformation. That's where you see the morality of a country just begin to flip. That's when you begin to see people backing out of lawlessness and love grown cold and into holiness, into love, because they're being transformed as the people around them are, they're encountering God. You are a walking revival, and I am a walking revival. Jesus, we are not waiting on God. He is waiting on us. And I'll just say this. If, there, if you're doing nothing, there's no demand on heaven for anything. But if you're stepping out and you're actually doing it, what makes a revival become explosive in the land is when the people who get lit pass and share the fire and take the impartation that happens in the water, in the meeting. It can be Jesus is not limited to water. He's using it a lot right now. That's all I can say. But there are places where that hasn't happened. In South Carolina, I'll, I'll remember the church in a minute. They basically came together to pray for one person and 200 people got healed and 3,000 people showed up the next week. So it's not just water, but it's, it, it is wherever you see God just kind of moving. And that's why when we're hungry, how many people out there know this one? If when we were hungry, if we, if Rodney Howard Brown was anywhere in our neighborhood, bam, we were there. If Randy Clark was anywhere, bam, we were there. You know, if Todd's going somewhere near, bam, we're there. Because that's what hungry people do. Hungry people search the globe to find the places that God is sovereignly moving. And there's something going on and we go there and we get it. But if you go and get it and you don't give it away, then the movement is aborted. We, you have to get to him who has, more is given. We are given such goodness and we are imparted to by the Holy Spirit and we catch the revival fire flame so that we have something to give away to the people around us. I have seen it transform things in a school. There is a book that we've written about this and there's a second one that'll come out about it, but I have to get my new job before I can write it can't write the book about Holy Spirit in the marketplace of school and all the things and the stories that, we, that we've seen through the years as kids have gotten healed, lit, their lives changed prophetically. Sid Roth's been in my classroom three times. The last time Sid Roth was in my classroom, Todd Smith was in here with him. I mean, come on. I mean, where does that happen? And of course, it's totally sovereign, right? It's like, this is what Jesus does. When Sid Roth and Todd were here, and I'll close with this fun story. I had kids, what, one, because they don't always have language to articulate what's happening. <laughs> I had one of my students say, we got to pray for so-and-so because he felt this heavy blanket come on him. <laughs> he felt this heavy blanket come on him. And it pressed his head to the desk and he couldn't get up. Well, of course he did. It's called glory. All right.
I'll see you guys tomorrow. This was fun. I just wanted to retell the story because I feel like it's good to connect the dots and there's more to tell. You guys need to get over here to Brunswick. We do this all the time. Every Sunday at Remnant, we will baptize. We see miracles in the water. Um, get to Dawsonville. Just get somewhere and get something. I mean, and if you want to come here, we'll find a way to put you up. Just come on and do it. And um, we'll look forward to meeting you. All right. Blessings, guys. It's summer. It's time, right? All right. Good night. I'm not good night. <laughs> I'm a little drunk. Yes. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>